John Kurt Schneider here. Welcome to another episode of Smart to Drivel. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. And hello, this is John Ellenthal, your co-host of Smart Drivel. Very happy to be starting another episode of the Smart Drivel podcast. I think you're just happy that I don't start them with a anymore. Well, I think you may have just backdoored your way into one of those, but watching your maturation as a co-host has been incredibly rewarding over the last few years, Kurt. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. So, John, today, speaking of maturation, we're going to dip back into the world of esotericness. Esotericism? I think esoterica. Esoterica. Ooh, I think you're right. We're going to dip back into esoterica because in talking to some people last week who are loyal Smart Dribble listeners, they were mentioning that some of their favorite episodes were ones where we gave them ideas or thoughts or random facts or did you know that they never knew before. You know what? We're all trying to figure out the world around us and how it works. So we are happy to be a small part of that, Kurt. So I'm going to launch right into it, John, and give you one to make you like set the stage and get you thinking about this stuff. I hope you're going to start with the ball on the top of a hat. Okay. I'm going to start with... John, do you know why our winter hats have those little pom-poms on the top of our hat? Did you know that a pom-pom is actually a pom-pon, P-O-M-P-O-N? Even, yes. even though it's been wrong so many times for so long, it's probably acceptable to call it a pom-pom. More importantly, why is it there? Is it just decorative? Because it looks decorative. Uh, I think that's, it's not because it's decorative, John. It's there because, like a lot of these things we found over the years, like a lot of expressions, et cetera, it starts with a navy. It starts with maritime. It starts with ships. This time, however, not the British ships, but the French ships. What would happen is they were below deck. And as you know, below deck, there's not a lot of headroom, right? Uh So there's not a lot of headroom. And what they were worried about down below was them bonking their heads on top of the, and not getting knocked out. So they put a ball on top of their hats to cushion and also get in between and allow them to realize, oh shit, I'm not going to hit my head and hit that ball. I won't get my head. So it's an early warning system for the ceiling and also a cushion if you fail to heed the early warning system. Not a lifesaver, a head saver. Let me ask you this though, because it originated with the French Navy. We, 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 is... There's something about French sailors or French ships that made it so. I mean, our, I don't think of French sailors as above average in height. Perhaps the lower deck of French ships are below average in height. Or maybe they were just the first to figure out a system. Well, first of all, I thought you said friendship, which was kind of cute. But you said French ship. So yeah. um, secondly, I think it's because they were worried they didn't have as many people in their Navy as the Brits did, and they couldn't afford to lose any. Well, you know what? You got to give them a lot of credit because that's a clever system that survives today, although for other reasons. Today, I think it's more decorative, and it is easier to take your hat on and off or off by yanking on that pom-pom. Are you a pom-pom wearer? I don't know. I don't think I have. I mean, I have a bunch of hats. You get to a certain age, you collect a lot of hats. So I certainly have hats with pom-poms on it, but or a pom-pom. 
but I think I prefer without. I prefer with because I think it gives a little whimsy. It lends whimsy. Makes you seem taller too, Kurt. Oh, I didn't think about that. I I like socks. I've gone through my drawer. And I like socks too. I've thrown out a lot of hats and now I've thrown out a lot of socks. Okay. Do you any of your socks have pom-poms? I give you a very fun esoteric one, but now it's your turn. Give me something. You think there's some sort of reciprocity going on here? Like I owe you something? That's kind of the format. I know, but you demanded it like you wanted payment for a debt. Because usually you come up with very interesting things. And I have good stuff, but the way you said it was like, oh my God, you owe me. I thought this relationship didn't have those kinds of transactional trappings. I have a pen. I'm ready to write down what you say. I'm going to capture it. I have a product here, Kurt, that you use today and you think you know why it was created but it was actually created for a def- very different reason originally. And that is the Kleenex, the everyday modern tissue. So how do we use tissues today, Kurt? Well, it's when we have a stuffy nose and we need to blow our nose or we're sneezing, want to keep things in there, or God forbid you're tearing up and you want to blot your tears. Well, what about, what about tears of joy? Not God forbid in those cases. I think if you have tears of joy, you want people to see them. Okay, well, at some point when your mascara starts to run, you don't wear mus- mascara anymore, Kurt, do you? No, but I did for a while in my goth phase. Did you wear like waterproof mascara? Is that a thing where it doesn't actually, what is it called, bleed or smear? I don't know what the right word is. Yeah, Maybelline, baby. By the way, great song by uh, Chubby Checker. What were we talking about? Kleenex? Mm-hmm. Kleenex were not originally created to help us wipe our nose. Instead, it was about protection, much like the pom-pom, which is a bit of the theme of these so far. So back during World War I, there was a cotton shortage, and Kleenex were created to be used inside gas masks as filters. That is the original purpose of the Kleenex in lieu of cotton. Today, we use them for a very different and much more benign every day. I say benign unless you just completely chew all over the place, in which case the people near you would not consider that benign, especially in the day and age of COVID. Did it lend to some weird things in the uh, trench warfare? Hey, can I have a tissue? Tissue? I don't even know you. Wow. Um, is that like Henny Youngman or something? <laughs> We don't do a lot of slapsticks on slaps. I guess you might occasionally because you got a slap sticky jean somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. I got that from my mother. I gave you one. So now we're even. Do you want to give me another one? So once again, I will owe you or should I go a second time and then you will owe me, Kurt? No, I have a very interesting fact that I never knew this. And of course, it's one of those that you say makes sense, but I never knew this. I thought it was decorative or I thought it was out of utility because of materials around. And this is neither. That's what makes this cool. So it's neither decorative nor useful. No, it's useful, but it's not useful because the material was useful. Let me ask you this. Are you trying to confuse me? Yes. So there are many brass doorknobs, right? Most doorknobs you see or used to see, of course, are brass, right? Schools, offices, all old buildings and a lot of new ones, brass doorknobs. Right on. You know why? I'll tell you why. The brass material 
naturally kills bacteria. It's antimicrobial. So you put your hand on there and you're not going to just give disease to the next person coming. Well, not at least through a transmission of something on your hand, but yes. And so it actually, I think, in going back to your setup, is both decorative because it's a lovely look and has a practical use that makes it scores high on the utility. It is impossible for you to mention the brass doorknob without a callback to one of our earliest, earliest episodes where we talked about the origin of certain phrases. And we talked about freezing the balls off a brass monkey. And for those who didn't listen to that episode, not only do we invite you to, but the monkey is basically this metal plate that is on a ship on which you stack the cannonballs. So it's the lower layer and it has an indentation in it. It's called the monkey. And they ultimately use brass because when they used iron, they basically, the balls and the monkey rusted and you couldn't get the cannonballs off when you needed them. The thing was, when it got too cold, the brass, the balls would fall off. That's when you froze the balls off a brass monkey. Right. Kurt, you have found your way to the bottom of more than your fair share of wine bottles, A? A and B. Have you ever noticed that on the bottom of the wine bottle, there is a rather pronounced indentation? Yes. More than just your regular flat bottom. Concave. Well, it's, it's got a little drama to it. It's got a little slope to it. You know why they have it? I do know why. Would you like to tell our listeners? It's so they can get away by charging you more and giving you less. Shrinkflation. A lot of people are talking about shrinkflation. How Backland. packages are getting smaller, but prices are not. So it's a way to basically charge more without raising the price. So it's clever in that regard. In any event, it's to strengthen the bottle in a way that offsets the pressure from the cork. So it's part of the overall bottle design. They're not trying to cheat you out of an ounce of wine. They're trying to make sure your wine bottle doesn't break because of the extra pressure created by the cork. It's also something waiters put their thumb in so they can pour the bottle to you. It does give them a good grip, but they have other grip options. The reason it is there to strengthen the bottle to offset the pressure from the cork. Okay. For extra credit, what's it called, the indentation at the bottom of a wine? It's called the punt. Not to be confused with punting down the River Cam in Cambridge, England, which people do because they punt with long, big uh, wooden poles on a raft. That's punting, punting down the River Cam. And by the way, they put a bridge over it, hence the name of the town Cambridge, the bridge over the Cam. How about that, John? That's pretty good. Yeah. So I'm going to give you an unbelievable if you will. Okay. It's getting cold out. Is it not, John? Uh, yes. We are living in mid-November. The weather has definitely turned cold. Okay. And you want to start a fire. However, it just rained last night. So you got no kindling anywhere because it's sopping wet. You don't have newspaper. You got nothing. You don't even have those fake things. Duraflame. What are you going to do for kindling to help get your fire going, John. You know what you do? You go into your kitchen, you open the cupboard, and you look at your Cool Ranch Doritos, which we've talked about we both love. They're flammable. You open the package, you use the Doritos for kindling. They are flammable. And in fact, 
all Doritos are, and the ones that are sort of spicier, the better, because the oil and seasoning on the chips produces a flame. Well, while you've started a fire, you probably have created the worst smelling fire in the history of fireplaces. Our Cool Ranch smells pretty good, John. Would you like it wafting through your house and through your sinuses into your olfactory? How about the people that chug ranch dressing? I don't get that. I, I'm not familiar with those people. Oh, that my God. That doesn't gosh. sound like a fantastic idea. Nope. They chug it. While you're in the cupboard, right next to the Doritos, you might find your uh, box with the roll of aluminum foil in it. And you might have noticed on the sides of the boxes, there's a little like thumb indentation in there. Do you know why it's there? Uh, it's probably has something to do with uh, the guinea pig that's in there. It's not unlike the little thumb hole you might find on a 12 pack of a beverage cans where it helps you carry it. But you really don't need help carrying a single pack of an aluminum foil. But there are little indentations on the sides, and it is to hold the roll of aluminum foil in place. As it gets smaller, it might roll around in the box and may not unfurl to your satisfaction. So it creates stability for the roll. So you don't have to put your fingers in it. You just put it in once, and it's there. You don't have to constantly do it unless you did it really poorly the first time. Do you ever have trouble when you're getting coffee out of, not at like a bougie place like Starbucks, but like a regular place and it's got that plastic lid that has this, has the little thing you peel back and punch in so so you can drink out of it. You know what I'm talking about? A coffee cup lid? Yeah. The white plastic coffee cup lids and you sort of tear up a piece. Yeah. That's always hard. You're supposed to sit it on this little post there and it rarely works. Never sits in. And by the way, then you, first of all, it's a little hard to peel and you're peeling while it's on. And so invariably you're spilling some of the coffee. Yeah. I don't like those things. Then you're trying to push it into the little divot and it doesn't stay. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Anyway. What's it for, Kurt? What's it for? What's it really for, Kurt? Holding. <laughs> this wasn't part of the, of the theme. Oh, you were just picking up on building on the aluminum foil indentation? Okay. So okay. are you suggesting what it's really for is to hold the flap back to leave the opening of the coffee cup free for you to drink from it? Yes. It basically was built to do what it makes sense that it's there to do. Sometimes that's the irony of life, John. Sometimes. By the way, in doing research for this episode, I found a fact which has nothing to do with this episode, but I thought it was interesting. Is it related to the coffee cup lid indentation? Not really. John. Well, it is related because it's a fact that has nothing to do with this episode. What color are your eyes? Um, I call them chestnut. A less involved person might call them brown. And what color are my eyes? Um, I think they're blue. So my eyes are blue, which is a recessive gene that give you blue eyes. It's been proven by studies that people with blue eyes have a higher alcohol tolerance. Ah, uh, okay. Not incoincidentally, they also have higher problems of alcohol abuse. Maybe as they're trying to test the limits of their of their alcohol tolerance. But there's a link they found between the genes that determine eye color and the genes that impact addictive habits. So what do people with chestnut eyes? Give me a thumbnail on them. Reposado. They like Reposado. And they are decent but not great at the New York Times crossword. The champion New York Times crossword puzzle in my house is my wife, Suzanne, who not only gets it completely and quickly, 
but lords over me all weekend while I struggle through across four or five sittings before finally throwing it out incomplete. And I lord it over you too, John. Oh, like last week when I sent it to you and said I did it in under an hour, I'm very proud of this. I try to feel good for you and your accomplishments, even if they don't match up with mine. I can do that sometimes if I'm in you just the I'm right mood. Too. Yeah. Like I'm just in the right mood. So, so I learned a fascinating fact about another everyday, nearly everyday, common household item, not an everyday item, and its origins, which is completely different than what we use it for today. The Weber grill. Do you have a Weber or have you ever owned a Weber grill, Kurt? The old charcoal ones? Yes. Growing up, yeah. of course, because it was it was standard in 60s and 70s in suburbia America. It is a product. True. It is a product of the Weber Brothers Metalworks Company in Chicago, Illinois. Do you know what their primary product was back in the day? They made hey, ships. They made buoys for the Coast Guard. One day, one of the metal workers said, hey, I can cut off the bottom of a buoy, stick three legs on it, and I got myself a grill. And all of his neighbors made fun of him until they all wanted one. And that started the Weber grill craze. It's the bottom of a buoy. Weber was in the buoy business, Kurt. How about that? Well, what do you think this guy was thinking when he was in the buoy welding department and said, hmm, how did he get from looking at that to I'm going to get something I can stick charcoal in. That's the beauty of imagination. He saw something, he imagined a new something in his brain and then had the wherewithal to manifest it in the physical world. He thought that's a great place to house charcoal, put a little grill sucker on top and have at it. And you know what? He was right. You know, this is, it's, I like callback episodes because we did an episode once on donuts. Do you remember that? 10 million donuts. Could have been 10 billion donuts, actually. Yes. And we did an episode, and one of the things we learned were the Red Cross women in World War I gave donuts out. One of the reasons that it became good for war, warfare, was the soldiers could turn their helmets upside down and deep fry donuts in their helmets. Wow, I did not remember that. But you know what that well, makes talk me talk about it then. That was oh, just okay. Talk well, that's about a little, little little bonus content for that little extra material. So, Kurt, exactly. do you know why donuts have holes in the middle? Yes. So, in case you swallow them whole, you can still breathe. And same with lifesavers, by the way. Yes. Do you have a everyday household item that you'd like to share based on that setup? Well, there's one that makes sense to me. It is the little top of the pens. Bic pens, any sort of cheap or inexpensive little writing implement pens always have that hole in the top, and that's what it's for. If you swallow now, a donut hole? If, if you swallow, no, the top of the pen cap, you'll still be able to breathe, which okay. is interesting because if you still couldn't breathe, the other part of the pen you can use to go into your trachea and save a life. You know <laughs> that, right? You can take a Bic pen. I learned this in the Boy Scouts. And go straight into the trachea, and then that'll allow someone to breathe, and you'll save their life. That's if there's or, a blockage. Or the, people, or the people with emphysema can smoke out of it. A little stoma. You can make, a, make your own stoma. So they taught you how to make stoma in the Boy Scouts. Is that what it's called, stoma? Yeah, I think so. I think that hole in the neck for people, it's, that, that can't be that much fun. Kurt, oh. do you have another 
everyday household item that you might tell us about in some new dimension? No, but I have something completely off. Okay, but I believe you picked this topic. I know, but would you please tell our audience again, which you've been very kind to do over the years, what is the word for the ice cream headache? You ask me this about every 25 episodes. I know. The medical word for the ice cream headache is sphenopalatine ganglioneuralgia. Excuse me. Got a little emotional there. I think I may have swallowed a big pen cap. Sphenopalatine ganglioneuralgia. So I'm going to give you another medical word for something that is a common occurrence. You know when your stomach gurgles, John? Yes. Okay, so your stomach gurgles, gurgles, and a lot of times you feel sort of a little embarrassed or you say, excuse me, oh, my stomach is rumbling. It's not yes. rumbling. It's actually caused when gas moves around in the intestines. That's when you have a gurgle. But there is a name for that, John. Barbarigmus. Okay. So if, you, if you're gurgling and your stomach's going, you could say, oh, do you have a little case of the barber, barbarigmus? If you could remember that. But I guess if I can remember sphenopalatine ganglioleuralgia, we can remember baro, barbarigmus. Barbarigmus. Think of a barber. Rig. like a Bobby Riggs. Rigmus. Okay. So it's like, instead of Christmas, it's barbarigmus. Have you ever seen, thank you for that. I will do my best to remember that. Perhaps I'll pair it with the ice cream headache. Have you ever noticed on a padlock, a key lock, that right next to the keyhole on the lock, there's a little hole? There's a little, um, there's a little opening next to where you put the key. Yeah. There's a reason for that. Not, it's not just decorative, like some people thought the pom-pom on top of that has. I know what it's for, John. Okay, well then I'll skip it so that we'll rob all of our listeners from an explanation because you know what it is. You take a paper clip, you take it on and you go in there and you can pick the lock. I think you'd have a lot more success trying to pick the lock going through the keyhole than you would some hole that's just away from the mechanism. Sometimes padlocks get rusty and stuck. That hole is a way to deliver some oil to the mechanism so that it will get unstuck. It's there on purpose. Who did that? That's genius. I don't know the person's name. I think that's genius. I'm guessing the lock companies, the first lock company. I, I, I only have one more for you. I have a couple more, but I have one more that I think you'll enjoy because you love WD-40, but you also love duct tape. I do. Last week, you, talked, uh, you told us that ducks in a row was really ducks in a row. Do you know that duct tape, besides being used for fixing everything in your house, has been scientifically proven to better to be a better way to get rid of warts than freezing them off? Um, that's interesting. I mean, it does once again tell us that there are just an unlimited, seemingly unlimited number of things that WD-40 and duct tape can do. And I remember someone had a quote about them. It's like, you use duct tape to get things to stick that are unstuck, and you use WD-40 to get things unstuck that should be stuck. Yeah, something like that. Correct. All right, I'll give you one. I'll give you a quick one or two because we need to wrap up this episode, Kurt. Yeah, but I'm thank I'm you things, John. What's that? I'm learning things. I'm going to go look at my tin foil, which is now aluminium foil. Um, in my aluminium door. is such a much better way to say it. So like in Australia and Britain, I just like it so much better. 
So for those of you, those of you who have used a spaghetti, what are those things called that pulls the spaghetti out of the water? A spaghetti spoon implement. Yes. Okay. Well, utensil of some kind. Yeah. There's a hole in the bottom. And I think a lot of people like me thought that was just to allow the water to pass through the spoon. So you don't have a bunch of spaghetti being grabbed before you put it in your bowl. And that may be a side effect, but the hole um, is actually the measurement of one serving size of spaghetti. So if you take your dry spaghetti, put it through that hole for each person you're cooking for, then you will have the right amount. So it's a serving size measurement. And I will, you probably knew that one because you've got that certain je ne sais quoi about you. Well, I did, but but the interesting thing about that is I don't use it, and like a lot of I other, I don't use it either. People, yeah, like a lot of other people, a I over put too much pasta in. But I always do by B, a lot. Then, eat, like if I'm cooking for myself and I'm only using half of a pound of spaghetti or pasta or whatever, I keep the other half in there. I rarely go back and use the other. Oh half. my god, I put the extra in the refrigerator too. We have so much in common. So give me one more, and we got to wrap this sucker up. Okay. I'm going to spend the next seven days researching this, because I'm not sure I believe it, but I enjoy it enough that I want to share it with our listeners. John, when you were a kid and you're at school, and you had your three-ring notebook, and you had your paper in there, and your teacher used to hit you on your uh, hands with a ruler because you were writing outside of the margins... Or in the margins. Or in the margins, correct. Right. Wait, that's like last week, near miss, near hit. So there are margins. Why? I'll tell you why, John. It's not just for someone having deep respect for white space. It's because in days of old, and not too far old, because paper was obviously around and writing was around, rats, John, rats. Would oh, they come- would chew on the end of the pa- edges of the paper? On both sides, the edges. They didn't go in. Maybe they didn't like that. They just like the edges. They're like they were crust people. The opposite people cut their crust off their peanut butter. So it's a rat-proof barrier. Exactly. So to make sure your content was preserved, even though the rats bit, you had margins. So basically, you're giving into the rats and saying, okay, we give. You can have it. It's a safe margin. Uh, Look, if I had a map that was super important, I wouldn't be excited if some rat chewed off an important piece of information. So... It's a bit of an insurance policy, which humans have bought for map. centuries. You might need that map, right? Otherwise, you'll get someplace. So that was it. That was my All last. Right. Thank you. I think um, I think we both learned something. Hopefully, our listeners learned something and enjoyed it. Kurt and I'll be back next week with another episode of Smart Dribble. Until then, we hope your week is filled with Smart Dribble. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for Ciao. listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.